Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Gail Weir. Gail Hussey Weir is the author of The Miners of Wabana, published by Breakwater Books in 1989 and 2006. Her latest publication is a chapter on the history of company housing on Bell Island in the book Company Houses, Company Towns, Heritage and Conservation, published by Cape Breton University Press in 2016. A former archivist with Memorial University's Library Archives and Special Collections, she is spending her retirement years constructing a website on Bell Island's history and culture at www.historic-wabana.com. Hi, Gail, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It was great to have a little chat with you before we came in just about the folklore department and how we both got started as folklorists, <laughs> accidental folklorists. Accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> it's always great to have someone on the show who, uh, you know, comes through that program. Um, so we're going to talk today about Bell Island. And I, I wanted to start right in with the, the chapter that you've done with the company houses and company towns. So can you tell me a little bit about how the chapter in this book came about? Uh, That also came about by accident. Um, When I retired in 2008, I retired to, uh, my goal was to set up a website about Bell Island and its history and culture. And I was having a lot of trouble getting started at it. I had lots of ideas, but I just didn't know how how to do it. And I kept getting off on tangents. Every time I'd start to think of something that I could get started with, I'd come across another piece of information, I'd go off on a tangent, and and of course life also got in the way. I was also looking after my mother, who uh, who was in her final years, and she was living with me. And um, anyway, um, I used to get questions every now and then uh, from people at the library and the archives in, at Mon. Um, if they had a question from somebody who was uh, researching something about Bell Island. And uh, one of the questions was from a folklore student who was uh, researching the company housing for her folklore course. And I had already done some research on the company housing, but I hadn't done a lot. And this sort of got me more interested in, in the company housing. And I contacted another folklorist in uh, Cape Breton at the Beaton Institute, Pat, um, Jody McDavid, who's the, who's the archivist there at Cape Breton University. And uh, I asked her if she had any information on the company housing, because it's the same company housing. Okay. The, the companies that had Bell Island Mines, the Wabana Mines, came from Nova Scotia. And, you know, they're building company houses for the coal mining in Nova Scotia. They're building the same houses. Uh, well, not exactly the same, but some of them were the same on Bell Island. And uh, uh, so she said, uh, she said, I'll have a look for you. But she said, um, we have a couple of people at the political science department here who are doing a book about company housing. And uh, would you like me to get, you know, put you in touch with them. That was in 2012, I think. And uh, so that was um, Tom Ur- Urbaniak yes. and um, Andrew Malloy. And um, 
so they got in touch and they said, you know, would you like to write a chapter for it? The, they knew I had written a book about Bellon already, so I guess they figured I, I was okay to write this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I said, sure. <laughs> so that really got me into it then. And uh, so that's how it started. It took a long time to get the book out uh, because I guess when you're editing a book and you're depending on people from all across Canada to contribute to the book and things, uh, you know, take time. And most of these people, who the other people, most of the other people in the book are working <laughs> at the moment, whereas I'm retired. And uh, uh, so anyway, uh, it wasn't until this past fall that the book finally came out. But that was good in a way because I went through umpteen um, you know, iterations of this chapter from start to finish. And, you know, there are things that ended up in chapters that would never have been there if they'd just put it out that first year or whatever, right? So I was glad because I really, I really learned a lot along with This is what I love about doing research is yeah, you really learn. I mean, I grew up on Belle Island, but I've learned so much in doing research. And People ask, you know, I'll get a question come to me from someone who's researching at the library, and boy, I never heard tell of that before, yeah. you know? I think that's one of the favorite parts of my job, is that I uh, never know what rabbit hole I'm going to end up going yeah, down, you know, exactly. because, uh, you know, all these all these things that, uh, that are possible research uh -huh. venues that no one has ever really done research uh -huh. on, you know, so yeah. astonishing. Oh, yeah. So uh, anyway, that's how I came to write the the chapter about yeah. company housing. So now maybe maybe we should back up a little bit because some some listeners might not be overly familiar with uh, kind of the history of of the mine on Bell Island and and why <laughs> the company housing was there. Can can you place that into a bit of a historical context mm -hmm. for us? Um before 1893 there was farming and fishing on Bell Island. A, you had two uh, communities, you had the beach which is when you go over on the ferry now, right there, yeah. where you get off the ferry. That was the beach. Dix's Fish and Chips, yeah. right there, yeah. And that's where a group of people lived most. They were, well, they all did a bit of fishing, but those people and the other people in Lanscove, at the other natural landing spot, uh, they fished and farmed. They, they had their farms, what they called, up on the island, which was when you go up the beach hill, or even in Lanscove, you have to go up a hill. Uh, and uh, but there was nothing else on Bell Island. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, anyway, uh, you had this uh, family of brothers called the Butlers. Of they were from Port de Grave, and uh, they uh, had a coast. What they call a coasting boat. Uh, they would take people to St. John's to do their business and they'd bring back goods to Port de Grave and to ports along the way and whatnot. And they were the ones who brought uh, Belle Island to the attention of the world. Uh, and, you know, there's one, there's several stories of how they did it, but one is that they landed at the back of the island uh, to get some ballast to put on uh, their boat uh, because it was a windy day or whatever. And, uh, they they realized that there was something special about this rock and from my research I've come to the conclusion that there was already a mine there there's nothing in the history books uh, about who operated whatever mine there was there 
But there's mention of uh, the early explorers and John Guy and his people and whatnot uh, who uh, kept writing back and forth to England saying that there's iron ore. So they knew. They knew, yeah. They knew. And they were sending, apparently, bits of it back to England. Mm. But in our Newfoundland history, other than that, there's nothing that says who or what they were doing with this iron ore or when. <clears throat> but anyway... Um, so these butlers, I mean, in their correspondence, they talk about the mine. So there was something there. It wasn't just rocks. And this is 18, 1880s. This is in the 18... Uh, well, they were doing this coasting in the 1860s. Okay. And then they went off and worked in uh, exploits area mm-hmm. for the 1870s and, and into the... 18- and then they came back to, uh, to live in Topsail. Uh, they had... They had some family connections in Topsail, and they were the only butlers that went to Topsail at that time. There were butlers down the shore in Kellerus and whatnot, but this was the one family. And um, uh, one of the sons of the, one of the brothers and one of the, his nephews went to Boston and Cambridge area to work in the uh, 18, late 1880s. And, and around 1890. And they took some of the ore with them and had it analyzed. And it was from there. Then the, the one that was still left in, in Topsail, Jabez, Jabez Sr., he took out three claims on Bell Island. And if you look at a map of where the iron ore is, it was exactly where he, he, he had a little picture drawn of Belle Island on his claim. There's a, it's in the archives, in the provincial archives, the rooms. And it's the exact area hmm. where the original landmine was. Uh, and um, they uh, got, uh, this was 1892, they were when he uh, got the mine claims. And uh, he went to a man uh, named Joseph Pippi in St. John's. Pippi, Sheeran and Pippi had a, a, a department store. And uh, this man Pippi was interested in mining for some reason. And, and I, you know, I think people used to come out from St. John's to Topsail to summer. They used to come out for the yes, holidays. Yeah. And I think maybe that's how they met up. Okay. I don't have any real proof of that, but I have the feeling that's how it happened. And that's why he chose this man, Pippi, because there's no other reason. It's not like he had to sign up saying, you know, prospectors wanted or anything. And uh, anyway, it was just by pure coincidence that at the exact same time, uh, the company that became the Nova Scotia Steel and Coal Company later um, was looking for iron ore in Nova Scotia, and there was nothing in Nova Scotia that was compared. They had the coal, but they didn't have the iron ore. They wanted to make, they were making steel, and they wanted to make more steel. And uh, so they sent a man down, Mr. Chambers, Robert Chambers, and uh, he took one look and said, this is it. And uh, it all, that's how it all started. And when did things really kind of explode? Like, when did the growth of the community start to happen? Well, the big explosion was after 1899 when a man named Whitney from the United States got interested in the Nova Scotia coal and steel. And that 
formed uh, the Dominion Coal and Steel Company. Uh, he wasn't with the company for very long, but he was with it long enough, to, and he was a big, big deal. He had lots of money and backing and whatnot. And the, the companies that started up then, the steel mills in Sydney and Sydney Mines, were these two companies, mm-hmm. the Nova Scotia Steel and Coal and the Dominion. And uh, they, so that this is, you know, I grew up thinking that it was somebody from England who was running this company. <laughs> Nobody ever told me any different. And, but it was just, no, it was Nova Scotia. Right. And it was perfect for them because you had the water way, which was the, the highway, and it was very easy to go from Nova Scotia to Bell Island, and from there cross to Germany and markets over there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it became a very prosperous town. It did. And yeah. a lot of buildings were constructed mm-hmm. uh, by the company, so, mm-hmm. and so hence all these company houses for, for That's workers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go to Belle Island today, it looks very different from what mm-hmm. it from what it did. Mm-hmm. Can can you paint a picture for me of what it was like, uh, what the town looked like in the nineteen fifties? So when mm-hmm. you were when you were a girl growing up there, what, mm-hmm. what was Belle Island like? It was busy. Yeah. It was very busy. Lots of construction going on because uh, there was a lot of money being poured. Dasco, who became the final sort of not the final but the the big owner throughout most of the time the mines were running. Um, in the 1950s, they had they decided they had to expand their operation. They had to upgrade the ore because uh, the ore had certain imperfections, and uh, the only way they could keep going was to, because things were changing in the uh, steel industry, and people were demanding better quality ore. And uh, so they poured a lot of money into Bell Island at that time, and. Uh, Right in sort of in the heart of the, it was number three mine, and the buildings that went up there were huge. They put in these crusher system and whatnot, and the purification system and that. <clears throat> and so there were a lot of buildings in there, and um, the company houses were all around this area. So there's like neighborhoods, there's Dominion, uh, the Scotia Ridge is, is a company houses that were built by the Scotia Company and then right next to that is Dominion Range which was built by the Dominion Company <laughs> and then you have the Green I don't know, have you been to Bell Island? Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, the Green is the place where the original mine, the very first one uh, got started and that's kind of like a, you know, that was a mess at the time. At the moment, it's nice and pretty and neat, and people have done their houses up and whatnot. But it was like boomtown, like the Old West, you know, sort of. And you had company houses there. Uh, you had company bungalows and company one-and-a-half-story houses. And you had company shacks. In the very beginning, they were building shacks for these commuting miners, the ones who came over on Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. And then they worked till Saturday evening, and they would go home for one day, yeah. <laughs> and then they'd come back again. And and so they a lot of them lived in these little shacks, probably six to a shack. <laughs> and uh, all of this was you know started in the beginning it was all started around this number two area, which was the green. And uh, you had businesses grew up there. It was it was a mixture, you know. Whereas in most company towns, 
the company sets up all this stuff, whereas you, in, uh, on the green, you had everybody right. in there, yeah. you, you know. We've been doing some research, uh, Tara Barrett in our office has been doing some research in Grand Falls, Windsor, mm-hmm. where the the pulp paper company really controlled the town. Mm-hmm. And then so all the businessmen set up across the tracks in, in mm-hmm. Windsor, you know, so right. you had kind of a separated town. Yeah. Same thing happened in Cornerbrook, where you kind of have two downtowns, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but you're suggesting that it, that wasn't the pattern. That wasn't the thing on Belle Island. They, yeah. they, you know, the companies were very good on Belle Island, these, these two companies uh, that, well, they became one company in 1922, yeah. Uh, but they were, they were really very good compared to what you, you read about other places uh, mm-hmm. on the mainland and what, how people were treated and whatnot. You, you were talking as well that there were department stores and things oh, yeah. like that that would have been very rare to see mm-hmm. in rural Newfoundland mm-hmm. at that at that time. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. We, I mean, we. My mother uh, hated the ferry, hated the boat. She would get she would get carsick getting to the boat before <laughs> she got on the boat. Uh, she would never go to St. John's shop, uh, and a lot of people didn't. A lot of you know. A housewife in those days was a very important person. I mean, she was home looking after the house and the children. A lot of people had eight and ten children. And, and, and you know, washing the iron ore clothes and all that for her husband. That was her life at home. And Town Square, which the, the businesses started on the green, but they moved to Town Square around uh, in the 20s. They started moving to Town Square. And then that became the center, and that's where all the department stores grew up. And uh, and we had Simpsons and Eatons. And my mother, that's all she ever needed. She never needed to go to St. John's for anything. Right. And uh, but we had everything we needed over there. We had the arena. There was always a, an arena right from the very early days. They the company I think started the first one. Uh, and we, so we always had ice skating. We had two movie theaters. Uh, the one was a Roman Catholic movie theater. <laughs> and that was part of their... It was uh, run by the parish? Run by the parish. Yeah. And they played all the latest westerns. If you liked westerns, that's where you went on Saturday afternoon. And uh, the other one was run by the LOL, the Loyal Orange Lodge. And that was the latest sort of popular movies, yeah. Rock Hudson and Doris Day and <laughs> that sort of the thing. The more scandalous fair. Yeah. I, I saw my first Elvis Presley movie there. <laughs> yeah, old lineup for that was something else. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we had, um, we had bowling alleys and, you know, we had a lot of uh, entertainment and dances and uh Taverns, we called them in those days. Uh, the first club, I think, was called the Diamond Club. But, you know, people said, well, you're going to the tavern, yeah. <laughs> you know. And then the Legion in the in the 50s and became the... Chinese restaurants? Loads of Chinese restaurants. We had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every little corner. <laughs> yeah. No, we had it all. We, we didn't need to go anywhere else, you know, so... Yeah. And the company always had uh, at least two doctors, Plus, I think there was probably, sometimes there was another doctor who wasn't a company doctor, but anybody who worked for the company, that's where you went to, to the company surgery. Mm-hmm. If you had a cut or a bruise or whatever, you know, they looked after you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, so going back to the, the company housing then, mm-hmm. it, the houses were kind of built to a type. Like there were mm-hmm. there were certain kind of standard mm-hmm. types of houses. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you talk a little bit about that? Right. Uh, the most popular one is the one on the cover of the book. Uh, it's a one and a half story and it's, it has the, the, fa- the facade, they call it, the front of the house uh, facing the street and the gables are on the side. And then there's a, a an extension back, and it's like, the roof is like a saddle, and this is what they're called saddle roof houses. Yeah. And that's the most common, and and it stands out. That the, the floor plan is kind of an L-shaped floor plan. Yeah, you've got the kitchen on the back, and then you've got uh, two rooms: the the front room, you know, the living room on the front, and a side room that some people call the dining room, some people call the sleeping room, and you know a lot of the uh, a lot of the women who were living in the house in the company houses wanted to make a bit of extra money they'd take a boarder in right one of these commuting miners or two or whatever and they would often sleep in that side room next to the kitchen yeah and then you had uh, three little bedrooms upstairs yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then the, the the next type was um just kind of a gable roofed house mm-hmm. which would have had a smaller floor plan would it um, they, they had, I guess, about the same about amount the same of size? space. Yeah, yeah the, ga- the front the gable to the street. Uh, there were two. Excuse me. There were two sizes for the miners in those. Oh, sorry. They had um, one was two rooms on the main floor, the kitchen and the front room, and I I don't know if they had two or three bedrooms upstairs, but yeah. Yeah. There were no bathrooms in these houses when they were built. But, you know, there were no bathrooms in any houses anywhere. You look at, uh, you look at uh, housing books right up into the 1930s from the States, no bathroom. <laughs> so it wasn't unusual. Yeah. They, uh, they got their bathrooms later. Uh, they started selling people their, co- their own house uh, around sometime in the 1950s, I think. And uh, then people started putting a little room on a, a porch on the back, and they put their bathroom usually in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. before that period, how was housing assigned? I guess people must have applied, and you know, to for a house. Yeah. Uh, now I grew up in a my my father built the house I grew up in, and but it was it looked a lot like a. A, a miner's bungalow, and that was another form of miner's house that the company built. Was which, a was a, which was a one-story. And that was a one-story with just four rooms. So it had a kitchen, a front room, and two bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my father built one that was looked on the outside like that, except ours had a, a, a central hallway and a bathroom. You know, but it, you know, to look at it, you'd say that was a miner's house, but uh, I mean, it was a miner's house, but it wasn't a company house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so there was a miner's bungalow. Yeah, and then there were also some some larger uh, buildings that had been built by the company. Oh yes, yeah. for for as bunkhouses or yes, they yeah. they built these uh, large bunkhouses. They were two story, and uh, I now when uh, Richard McKinnon, do you know? Yeah, Richard, Richard McKinnon, who who <laughs> is now uh, at Cape Breton University, yeah. but who who did his. Folklore. To, folklore, another folklorist, yeah. Uh, when he did, he, he went over to Belle Island in 1980 and, and uh, actually examined two types of uh, company houses and uh, for a course he was doing in folklore. 
and wrote a wonderful paper, which you can still get online. And he he sh- he gave the types of these houses, and uh, uh, he so he shows a picture of the last remaining bunkhouse that was still remaining, and that had sustained a fire. So he wasn't even able to get in that, uh, but it was it was like a two-story house, uh, you know, just very plain. Um, vernacular type mm-hmm. looking house yeah so you had all these houses all these company buildings mm-hmm. and then uh mid-60s mm-hmm. the fortunes of the town kind of changed a little mm-hmm. bit the, mm-hmm. the mine shut down in mm-hmm. 1960 well they started see in 1950 number two mine shut okay and then uh, around 57 number six mine which was a big one shut, uh, shut down and then Oh my gosh! A couple of years later, maybe sixty-one, number four. I'm I'm forgetting the exact dates here. Uh, so three of them had shut down by the early sixties, and people were moving away. My I remember when my best friend and her family had to move away. Uh, we were going into grade eleven, so that was around sixty-four. They decided they they could see the writing on the wall, uh, and of course, a lot of people were going to Ontario. Yes. Uh, to Galt. Galt, mm. yes. Yep. A lot of them started out in Toronto, but then they ended up going to Galt because Galt was just starting to build a lot of factories. And this they were hiring. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, you didn't need a degree. Uh, you know, they were just hiring people, you know, whoever. Yeah, I think I think half the people in Cambridge today are, are Bell of Bell Island descent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, they call it Little Bell Island, actually. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, uh, so, you know, the writing was on the wall, but still, because so much money had been pumped into it, and, and the company did build some new houses right around that time, just in the early, late 50s, early 60s, because uh, for their staff. They didn't build it for the miners. They were building because they were bringing in new staff to, uh, when I mean staff is engineers and surveyors and that type of mm-hmm. person, they were called staff. And uh, they worked in the main office. And uh, so they were building new bungalows. CMHC had these lovely pl- floor plans and things and houses, these lovely bungalows. Uh, so that's what got people thinking, well, this is going to be all right. We're, we're going to come back, you know. And uh, the only mine working then uh, when I left Bell Island in 65 was number three. Mm. So uh, it was a big shock, actually. Even though they sort of saw it coming, they couldn't really believe it when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And many of those houses are are no longer there. A lot of the houses... Uh, I'd say there's probably about half have disappeared. When they... um, uh, when they were selling off at the end, they uh, offered people the opportunity to buy the house they were in, and if they didn't buy it for themselves to live in, they could buy it on the condition they tear it down. They could buy it for one dollar if they would tear it down. That was sort of like a part of an unofficial resettlement program, but they'd have to build it off the island. And some people brought over the lumber and built in uh, Portugal Cove, mm-hmm. my uncle did. And out around Manuel's area and those places, they, they brought the lumber from these houses over. Uh, and some houses were burnt uh, over the years, uh, you know, have burnt down. And I, I, I figure it's about half the houses, company houses. Mm-hmm. But still, there's a lot of houses over there. So we're, we're drawing to the end of our, mm-hmm. of our time here. Um, but if people want to see photographs of all these company houses, they can go to the website, right? Yes. And when, when was the website launched? 
I launched it uh, June 30th of 2016, which is was the anniversary of the closing of the mines, the 50th anniversary. That sort of gave me the impetus. To, <laughs> I Here's a date. I'm going to go for this date. <laughs> uh, but it was actually this company house book, too. I, I had said in the article that I was setting up a website, and I thought, I'll just put in pictures of company houses. That's how I'll get it started. And uh, so that's what I did. And that's, yeah. And I'm, I've been adding to it ever since. And I plan to keep adding to it as long as I'm able. Yeah. Good. And if people want to visit it for themselves, they can go to www.historic-wabana.com. Gail, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening.